whether their families have been here for generations or they just arrived in a U-Haul last week. Texans have stories to tell about the battles they have fought and the victories they have won to keep the Lone Star State the special place that it is. On the People of Texas podcast, we are joined by some of these Texas icons to share their stories. Here's your host, Sherry Sylvester. Welcome to the Keeping Texas Texan podcast. I'm Sherry Sylvester. Today we're talking to Chancellor Kent Hance about Texas history, his life in politics, and basically anything else that he wants to talk about. Good morning, Chancellor. How are you doing? Good morning, Sherry. It's good to be here, and uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. Well, there is a lot to say these days about Texas history. And I think there are people who forget that there's a lot of us who remember a lot of Texas history, and you are one of those people. Uh, you, I have you down on your bio as uh, you switch from Democrat to Republican. You're the only man who ever beat George W. Bush in an election. You're a basketball star. You're head of one of our greatest. We're head of one of our greatest uh, universities in Texas. If you were going to talk about our history. Where would you start? I would start, first of all, just the entire state. Uh, people don't realize this fact, uh, but this is an important fact to remember. There are more books written on Texas history than the other 49 states put together. So if you take the 49 states and get every book, it's going to be a small bookcase compared to what's written on Texas. And I, I think that there's a lure about Texas uh, nationwide and worldwide uh, I, I know one time when I was chairman of the Railroad Commission, I, I attended some uh, OPEC meetings in uh, Vienna and a meeting with uh, OPEC members about oil and gas issues. And uh, they were so impressed. I was from Texas. And uh, they, uh, they, uh, they wanted to talk about the TV show Dallas. And uh, so I talked to them a little about not that that was immediate history, but it told me they were watching uh, that show uh, Dallas. Uh, in the Middle East, but uh, Texas has its own history that's uh, that I think it's magnified by the the number of people that we have that are unusual and that are uh, uh, people that uh, uh, that are independent. You know, Texas uh, folklore. Uh, we're an independent group, and this has been an independent state. It's a conservative state, and that if you're willing to work hard, you're going to do well. And that uh, in the history, people talk about different things. And, you know, one thing that's going on now, people talk about uh, diversity and equality and equity and things like that. Look, when, when the Civil War was over, you had two prices for people working, one for the blacks, one for the whites. And the, that was broken in West Texas. It was broken in the ranches because they started paying people not based on your color, but on if you performed as a cowboy, you got a certain amount of money a day. And uh, there was uh, uh, one cowboy saved up enough to buy his own ranch, and he, he was the first African-American rancher out there. And his name was, uh, they called him uh, uh, A.D. Uh, uh, Wallace. And his name was Daniel Webster Wallace. And that uh, he was a cowboy, and, and, and he first started working on those ranches. They decided, you know, we're going to pay based on what they can do. 
they were basing it on ability and character. You know, I still go back to this that Martin Luther King said that, uh, uh, you know, judge people based on their character, uh, not not on their color. And if some people want to change that in this day and time, which is uh, absurd, everyone should be based on who they are as an individual. And uh, and I, I think that that's so important in Texas. Uh, I went to a high school that was one of the first schools to integrate in the state of Texas. And uh, my best friend when I graduated from high school was a guy named Junior Coffee, who went on to play in the uh, uh, NFL for 10 years. You know, one time he was getting out of a car. He was down here visiting me. It took him a while to get out of a car. And the guy said, you're a little slow getting out of the car. He said, if you had been tackled uh, 15 times a game uh, for 10 years, you'd be a little slow getting out of the car too. And uh, but we played in the state basketball championship game my junior and senior year, and uh, it was a great experience. But uh, Texas was at the forefront on doing what the law said in the Brown versus Board of Education, and uh, you know we wound up being really close friends, best friends, and uh, neither one of us had had been taught critical race theory. And if we had, we probably hated each other. But uh, we, we based each other, uh, you know, on who we were. And uh, in Texas, uh, there are so many people that have done so well because they were hard workers and, and they were judged by who they were, not, you know, who their uh, parents were or what their color was or anything like that. And I think that's a great story that Texas has to, to tell, the, the people that have done extremely well. Uh, and that uh, you're talking about. Uh, it's, it's always been a place where you can reinvent yourself. That's exactly right. That's what that's what Davy Crockett meant when he said, I'm going to Texas. I heard Phil Graham tell a story uh, one time about when he drove here. He was a native Georgian, and he said uh, that in Georgia, it was all about who your family was. Right. But when you got to Texas, it was about on what you had done. Yeah, it's who you are and what you're doing, and, and, and that's, that's what people judge you on. You know, Phil Graham's a dear friend of mine. We, went, we got elected to Congress together in 78, and uh, he, uh, he learned in that race in a runoff, a woman he was running against, a guy that was the weatherman in Dallas. And this woman, uh, he was out campaigning. This woman said, well, we'd like to vote for you, but we're going to vote for so-and-so, who was the weatherman. And he said, why? You know, think about what issue or anything. And she said, well, you know, I know him. And, she, and he said, how do you know him? And she said, he gives the weather in my living room every night. And he said right then he realized the power of television and communication, uh, that he needed to be on top of it. But we went to Congress in 78. Uh, Reagan got elected in 80. And in 81, the Senate was controlled by the Republicans and the House was controlled by the Democrats. And so uh, President Reagan had to have some Democrats to support his programs. And uh, the president asked me personally and, and asked Graham personally if we'd carry his, uh, his legislation. Graham carried the budget cuts, Graham Latta, and I carried the tax cuts. And uh, I, I tell you, it, I, I had 78 Democrats vote with me for Reagan's tax cut. Well, in Trump, on his tax cut, he didn't have one Democrat vote for him. And so they, they've been, they put more and more pressure on being loyal to the party uh, than they do the country. And I, I think when you get elected, your country should come first and the party should be down the list. And, uh, but uh, there's tremendous 
uh, power in uh, the party leaders now that there didn't used to be. What in the time that you spent in Congress and then watching the debacle that we see in Congress today, what do you think the difference is? Is it just our general partisan antipathy towards each other? Did the rules change in a way that impacted it? What do you see? Is it different people running for Congress? What do you see? I, I think there's several things happened. Uh, one, redistricting has gotten where there's not but about 40 members of the House out of 435 that are in swing districts and that can go Republican or Democrat. So if you're in a swing district, uh, you better not become too Democrat or too Republican because you'd be in trouble. Uh, the rest of the districts are, are partisan districts, and you either got to run as a Democrat or as a Republican. And so if you run as a Democrat, you get pushed further to the left. If you run as a Republican, you get pushed further to the right. And so it's there's less middle, so it's harder to compromise. You know, it's harder to reach a compromise. Uh, I think that uh, another thing, cable uh, television, uh, it uh, people are on 24-7, and you've got to make sure that uh, if you're going to say something, you have to say something that is uh, uh, a little sensational. Congressman Ralph Hall said, you know, to get on TV, he had to say something that's kind of sensational. And uh, the more sensational you get it, the, the tougher it is later to work something out. Uh, Ronald Reagan had his ups and downs with Tip O'Neill, and uh, he uh, Reagan always won uh, or came close to winning. And uh, he uh, he got along with him, and they, they had – you know, they'd talk about each other saying that the speaker's ill-advised or the president's ill-advised. Well, in this day and time, it's hard to reach a compromise when uh, uh, somebody calls you, calls the president morbidly obese, you know, uh, or, or somebody calls the speaker a loon. It's hard that night to sit down and say, all right, let's work out these differences uh, because it's pretty hostile during the day. And uh, so the redistricting, uh, I think cable TV 24-7 uh, has changed some. And uh, I think people have become more dependent on the money from the party. And so they're, uh, you know, more beholding to the party in some instances. And uh, But it's not good. When I was in Congress, if you ask somebody, who do you hate? Hell, you know, I mean, didn't hate anybody. Now you ask some members, who do you hate? And you have to pull up a chair. You know, they're going to be talking a long time. And uh, and that's not good for the country, and the public realizes it. But uh, Biden's done nothing, absolutely nothing, to try to be bipartisan. He he says he has, but he doesn't. And and uh, he he had all kinds of opportunities to work things out, and uh, but has shown nothing uh, where he would try. Uh, Trump tried, and uh, I think that after he got attacked. Uh, several times he, he kind of gave up on that approach uh, but uh, you know vicious attacks it, it's hard to reach compromise with people that are that are hitting you and hitting you hard but there are a lot of issues that are not and should not be partisan and need to try to work them out but you can't give up your principles you know I read the Wall Street Journal had an article this week and it talked about that the fact that the conservatives are, are winning a lot of wars right now, and things are looking good for 2022, and we're certainly winning on critical race theory, as, as you mentioned. But the writer questioned if it would matter 
because academia is so far to the left that the people coming up are not going to have the judgment that you or I might have, having lived in a world which is less hostile. You are involved with a very big university. What's your thinking about the state of academia today, and is there, is there a way to shift that? Yeah, you know, I think there, there are certain things happening in higher education where people are trying to shift it, but it, it got a long way to go. Uh, while I was chancellor at Texas Tech, we set up the Institute for the Study of Western Civilization, and uh, that was a, a, that, that's worked very well. And uh, also, we set up uh, the uh, Institute for the Study of Free Enterprise. Those are conservative things that we set up, and uh, that that's just a, a few. And then they're doing that. Uh, they're going to be doing uh, some things on on more conservative philosophy and uh, at the University of Texas. And uh, I think you have a fight with some people in higher education. Uh, they they have an agenda. There's some not 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 a a lot, but enough to make a problem that they have an agenda and they want that agenda to be taught. And uh, that's where that's where they're coming from. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, um, I think one thing parents need to be involved uh, in in politics with their children so that they get a basis so they're not going to college and, and hear something that's totally foreign to what's correct. And uh, they they need to be involved. Uh, you have a uh, uh, some uh, some professors uh, teach based on what they want to happen rather than what the reality is. And uh, so I, I think there is a, a problem there in higher education, and I think it, it gets down into lower uh, in public education, K through 12. Uh, you know, the critical race theory, I had uh, my uh, uh, grandson got married last year, and He'd been on the basketball team at Texas Tech, and I, I was at the wedding, and there were he, he had eight people in the wedding on on his side, and, and four were black and four were white. And at the dance afterwards, I counted twelve cowboy hats. All those kids loved each other; they got along, and none of them had critical race theory. They, they thought that uh, you know they got to know somebody and got to be friends, and and that was the important thing to them: how they treated each other. And uh, I, I think that. We're, we're, we're studying problems to make them problems. Some people want to make something a problem, and it's like they want to relive the 50s or 60s. I can tell you that what's happened in race relations over that period of time is just amazing that you had a black, uh, you know, an African-American that, that was uh, elected uh, a president. Uh, you got CEOs. And uh, I know in the 50s, uh, when I was playing basketball on a road trip sometime, there were some restaurants we couldn't eat in uh, because we, we were integrated. And, uh, and so uh, things have changed. And, and uh, there are certain people who want to say, well, they hadn't changed and, and that everything. One of the problems that I think the Democrats have is they've gotten where they, if somebody disagrees with them, they try to call them a racist or, or a name or something. And that's just not true. Uh, they may disagree on the issues. But uh, it's just not true. It, I think, and, and maybe there's perspective that gives you that. I mean, I uh, grew up in a Democrat family, and I recall that my parents initially were supporters of George Wallace. It, they, it, they moved on to back Jesse Jackson in 88, and ultimately 
voted for Obama. So that's they they are not unique. Yeah. I think that that the the country experienced a lot of that change. They, they jump around uh you, you know I I think that if if you look at the families and everything I grew up in a family in my, in my my hometown uh, everybody I knew was a conservative Democrat. And some of them, I, I worked for Governor Preston Smith, who was governor of Texas and probably one of the most conservative governors we've ever had uh, and was a Democrat. And that what happened in Texas history, it, as, as more people moved into the state, they were moving in, they were Republicans. And then there were more people watching the national conventions. And they'd watch that national convention and, and they'd be sitting there watching it and they'd talk, talk to their spouse and they'd say, that's not us. They'd see somebody on TV that at the Democratic convention, and it was somebody talking about some issue that that was way out there, and they they'd just look at it and say, "Well, that that's that's not us." And so a lot of the conservative Democrats started moving over into the Republican Party, and then when Graham changed and I changed, and we had, we had some people in the state in the uh, '80s, early '80s, and I think that was brought about because Ronald Reagan. Uh, was president, and he recruited people to change parties. And also he came up with policies uh, where there was a clear-cut difference, and people could decide and look and see, you know, that their conservative values, values they identified with. And so the, the change in the Democratic Party was dramatic uh, nationwide. You know, I, I look around the Democrats now, and every once in a while I say, boy, I wish I could see a liberal t- uh, a Democrat on TV because they've all become progressive. They've moved further to the left. There used to be conservative Democrats and then moderate Democrats, and they've fallen by the wayside. And that's just a history of what's happening in the state of Texas. There's very few, if any, uh, and I don't can't think of any, elected uh, Democrats that are conservative, uh, that are moderate. And uh, the best thing to hope to in this day and time is a, a liberal uh, rather than a progressive. And uh, they, they uh, progressives, a lot of progressives do not like this country. They just, they don't like what we stand for. And they think that when, when you say something like this is the greatest country on earth, they, they really, that, that upsets them. Uh, they deplore people that talk like that. So did, how did you change parties? Did, did Reagan recruit you? Well, and what what did people say to you? Did you know uh, I I did and uh, what happened? It it was uh, you know I I went to the eighty four uh, Democratic convention and just as I looked around there there was no one I that I could identify with uh, philosophically and uh, and I'd been talking to Graham had just changed. And so I was a couple of years behind him, and I changed. And then we had a lot of people change. And, and that when I got elected uh, to the Railroad Commission, uh, I was the uh, first Republican to ever win a statewide race in Texas below the office of governor or U.S. senator. And that was in 88. And by uh, uh, 98, 10 years later, there was not one Democrat left in, the state, uh, in state politics in statewide office. So it, when it shifted, it shifted. It was like water building up behind a dam, and you didn't notice it. You didn't notice, and all of a sudden there was an overflow, and it shifted and shifted fast. 
and that uh, Texas has been a Republican state ever since and has been a very uh, uh, aggressive. You know, uh, Texas, uh, what we stand for and what we promote in Texas uh, keeps a good business climate and uh, is really the backbone uh, of the conservative foundation uh, in, in the nation. And and those were things that Democrats supported before. Yeah, they, they, you know the Democrats were out there talking about the working people. Well, they they've kind of abandoned the working people, and the people that are uh, the the working people now identify more with the uh, uh, with the Republican Party. It's just been a change. I, I had a, there was a student at Texas Tech that I was talking to, and her dad was with a union. He he worked for a, a, a railroad. And he was in the union, and she was talking about that he had supported Trump, and and that you know he had he had quit, he'd, he voted for Bush, you know he just quit voting for the Democrats. That uh, they the, the the national Democrats they'd nominate somebody to run for president, and they'd get out there and talk about issues that this guy and his family couldn't identify with. Well, you know, you also served in the Texas legislature, and you served in Congress. Tell me about your favorite characters, some of your favorite characters. Golly, there were a bunch of them. I, I had Walter Mad Dog Mingdon. I mean, he was great. He was a hardcore conservative guy. Uh, Who I, was he? Uh, Walter Mingdon, he was an engineer. And I'm telling you something, it, it wasn't gray to him. It was black or white, and, and uh, it, it was yes or no, and, and he was, uh, uh, it, it wasn't any gray. And, uh he uh, was a hard worker. I, I think every, every legislative body needs someone uh, like uh, Walter Mingdon. Uh, he was uh, he had strong beliefs, and uh, he he seldom he would compromise. But it wasn't a compromise where he was wanting a ten and they were wanting a zero, and he compromised at uh, two. I mean, he compromised may, maybe at five or six or seven. But he drove a hard bargain. I think there was a lot of Republicans back during the 60s and 70s and 80s got criticized because in their negotiations, they, did, they, they didn't negotiate well. They, they started wanting a 10, and the Democrat wanted a zero, and they wound up getting a two or something. And uh, so he, he was uh, uh, kind of a flamboyant, drove a big old truck and uh, had a cowboy hat, and, and uh, he uh, was as nice a person and uh, was a gentleman, was a gentleman. And uh, then uh, then on the other side, on the more liberal side, was uh, uh, Senator A.R. Babe Swartz from Galveston. And uh, he, he, he was an unusual guy. He had, uh, uh, he was very colorful. And uh, he'd get up and make speech. I carried an amendment one time, had to do with trucking. And he he talked for like two and a half hours, and the vote was thirty to one. He, he did, you know, and uh, but uh, he he wanted to have his say, and and uh, that's that's part of the legislative process. But uh, we had other people that that uh, steered us through uh, some good times on on helping on building good roads. I mean, one of the things you got we have good transportation in the state of Texas, and as fast as we're growing. Uh, you know, you look at Governor Perry and Governor Abbott, they, they've done a lot to make sure that uh, we've continued to advance the road system that we have. That's it, very important, very important. And uh, you, you can think back to uh, 
the foundation in Texas has always been a, a government that we try to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. But, uh, you know, we, the old saying was we try to take care of the needy, not the greedy. And that uh, there's uh, uh, the more you subsidize something, the more you're going to get of it. And, uh, and the more you tax it, the less you're going to get it. So if you, if you put a tax on certain things and make it difficult for people to, to do certain things, there, you know, there's, uh, you put that tax on them, there's going to be less people doing it. But if, if you, uh, uh, you know, subsidize something, the, the, it looks like in every state, the more you give out uh, on welfare benefits, the more people start to apply. And uh, so it's a, it's a different deal in Texas. Uh, we don't encourage it, but we do try to take care of the people that really have some need. American public's uh, generous. The American public spent over two times in, in get over $500 billion in charity last year than the rest of the world put together. The rest of the world put together multiplied by two gets close to what we do. And, uh, and, and I think a lot of the uh, other countries and a lot of other, they, they get in a position where they, they take the, uh, uh, they, they, they want the government to do it. You know, if there's a problem or something, they, you don't let the government do it. And uh, so it's kind of unusual. To, well, answer, answer me this. Uh, some people say that Texas is uh, divided into city states, you know, and, and it seems like that. You've got the world of Houston which is very different from the world of Dallas. And then down where I live in San Antonio, that's entirely different from either one of those. And you've got whatever's going on here in Austin. How did you represent West Texas? Does, is West Texas always competitive? How does it fit? Or do you even agree with that? No, I, I think there are, I mean, th this is a state, if you run statewide, it's like you're running several states. You know, what, what may be an issue in Laredo or Beaumont may not be an issue in Amarillo or Lubbock, and same with Houston and Dallas. Um, I've, I've said, and this was true in the last election, and, and uh, with Cruz, uh, uh, if you take Amarillo, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, San Angelo, Abilene, and Wichita Falls, those seven cities, not the rural areas around them, which are very red, you know, uh, Republican uh, counties, but just those seven cities that uh, uh, Cruz won in those areas by 255,000 votes, and he only won the election by 205,000. And, uh, and they voted hard. Uh, they, uh, you, you had in the governor's race, I think the lowest that Abbott had in any of those six, uh, uh, seven cities was 68%. You know, that was his worst county. And uh, so, I mean, it's, uh, that, that's pretty hard core it's the medium range cities like that or if you go to east texas tyler longview lufkin marshall uh that, that they're conservative in in waco uh whereas you have a, a different atmosphere as far as the uh, uh cities are concerned austin's very liberal and and uh, always has has been in the past and uh, i would expect they'll remain that way in the future the cities, uh, Houston and Dallas, have changed because the more people have moved to the suburbs, and you've had more people move into the inner cities, and uh, uh, so there, there's been a big change in that regard. Uh, We've got a couple minutes left here, and I'm wondering if you've got any advice for TPPF and for me 
on what we need to do to keep Texas Texan? Well, you know, the basic values, uh, the traditional values of, of hard work, uh, family values, uh, you know, getting paid what you're worth and, and all, all those things uh, and giving every, everyone an opportunity, a chance to do well in whatever they go after. Uh, all that That's the basic foundation we need to continue to emphasize that. We need to emphasize that to young children and everyone. You work hard, you do what's right, uh, you play by the rules, you're going to be okay and that you're going to do well. And the government doesn't owe you anything. You know, so many people get to thinking the government owes them something. They don't owe you anything. you got to take care of yourself, and, and there may be some benefits come about because of other circumstances, but, the, but that's a separate, separate issue. And I, I think one last thing I'd say, I think you got to continue to be proud to be a Texan. Uh, I like, no matter where I go, to tell people I'm from Texas and that uh, there's a certain allure to that. And uh, they like to have uh, stories. They like to hear our stories. I have, and I'm going to get in a lick on this, a podcast, Ken Hans, the best storyteller in Texas. And I tell you, you'll like those. If, if they'll uh, go to a podcast, just put in, go to Spotify or whatever, put in Ken Hans, best storyteller in Texas. It'll bring it right up. And they can listen to it and enjoy it and get some laughs out of it. And I've interviewed people. I've, I've got the lieutenant governor coming up. I've interviewed uh, Rick Perry. I've interviewed Ed Whitaker, who was CEO and chairman of the board of AT&T and General Motors, uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, so I've had uh, Randy Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, a football player that went to Texas Tech, was the Kansas City Chiefs. I interviewed his mother. One thing she told me, and I, I, this may have been on there, may not. I said, when did you realize Patrick was, was good? as an athlete said he is five years old and he's playing with the six years old in uh soccer and when they left the game uh she said she had to compliment him because the score was seven to nothing he scored all seven goals and he was playing with kids a year older so that's pretty good you know he's texan he's proud to be a texan and we say here at tppf whether your family's been here for 10 generations or you just arrived last week in a u-haul you're a texan we, we like to have them, and, and uh, what was it, Sam Houston uh, uh, said he is going to Texas. Uh, Tennessee can go to hell, and he's come to Texas as fast as he could. Davy Crockett. Davey, Davey Davey Crockett. Crockett. Davy Crockett said, you know, I'm going to Texas, and Tennessee, they could go to hell, and he's going to Texas as fast as he could, which showed good judgment on his part. Well, and for the country, over 1,000 people moving here at a day. Chancellor, it's been great to talk to you. Appreciate your coming over this morning and uh, uh, keep Texas Texan. Well, I, I enjoy the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation. They do a good job. And, and one thing that I think is good, hey, we don't all have to agree. I don't agree on every issue. And uh, we, we, we think that that's, that's good that we all think through these issues and they have good debates on them here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You can find out what's going on and uh, hear, hear both sides. I, I think they bend over backwards to make sure that they say, this is what we believe, but this is what the other people are saying, and, uh, which is good. A lot of foundations don't do that. Great. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the People of Texas podcast. This podcast is produced by the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Check out our other podcasts at texaspolicy.com or your favorite streaming platform. Until next time, remember to keep Texas Texan.